previously on Murder in Alliance. To me, from what I understand of the case, stuff just didn't make sense. The guy I knew that came into the post office that threw up his hand and waved and grinned all the time and he's just the nicest guy ever, I thought, no, this can't be. He said that they put him in a room and they chained him to the wall by his arm and spit on him and they told him that they wanted him to confess. Brent Turvey, a nationally known criminal forensics expert, picked apart what he calls a botched case. Something's missing. I can't I can't understand. There's got to be more. He could have paid off his entire 18 years of child support with a check. Why didn't the prosecution turn this over and what is going on here? So it makes me feel like there's more to the story. This is Murder and Alliance, an active investigation into who killed Yvonne Lane. I'm Maggie Freeling. On the morning of April 1st, 1999, before the murdered body of Yvonne Lane was found, a neighbor was walking by 916 Divine Street. 20-year-old George Hale said he was walking to McDonald's around 9.30, 10 a.m., when he heard puppies barking. So I just glanced over there because I heard a bunch of puppies. Yeah. Yeah. And, out, and out comes this guy. And a guy came out with a trash bag. That's all I see. You know, I just glanced. You know, take that trash out. George described the man he saw leaving the house with a trash bag in his mid to late 20s, about 180 pounds and about 5'9", wearing a T-shirt and blue jeans with medium-length hair. And you hear the puppies crying, you look yeah, over, and you, over, and you see this guy come out of which door? Do you remember which door it was? This is the voice of Mike Durkin, a private investigator for David Thorne, Avon's ex-boyfriend, who's been in prison for almost 22 years for her murder. It was a bottom door. Yeah, it was like, it's like a porch or something that comes over the door a little bit. Yeah, like a deck or something. Came out of the bottom down there. Right underneath yeah. that, that deck. Yeah. Okay. Now, this is significant because it's an eyewitness account of a person leaving the crime scene just hours before Yvonne's body was found, yet hours after she was believed to have been killed. George said that he again walked by Yvonne's house later in the day at 5.10 p.m. and saw police there. That's when he said he realized a crime was being investigated, so he walked over to some of the officers and gave a statement right then about the person he saw leaving the house. The next day, the police asked him to the station. Gave me bunches of books of them. But they took you down to the yeah. department? And yeah, it was that next day they did that? Yeah, next day. Okay. Yeah, a couple times. Yeah. To look through books of, yeah. of pictures. Did they show you any pictures in particular? Uh, just, just photos, you know, just out of this big, huge book. So just like TV, flip yeah. through until you see if you... Yeah. Could you have recognized... Did you feel at that point that you would have recognized? I, w- I was looking. I didn't see anybody I seen when it was in it. Okay. But I thought I saw. Huh? That I thought I saw came out of the house. Okay. So in other words, then, you, you thought you could have recognized yeah. some If you'd have seen his picture, you would have remembered because it was real fresh in your mind that it was that guy. Hale said he did not see the man he'd spotted outside Avon's house in the photo book. 
It's unclear whose mugshots were shown to him, and that's because the police made no records that we are aware of of their interview or lineup with George Hale. In fact, George Hale's name never came up at trial or in any of the documents that police and prosecutors gave to David's defense lawyers. This man was in a house with a dead body and was either cleaning up for the killer or was the killer. Uh, It's very suspicious. This was like a paragraph in a police report that was not turned over. This is Beth Karras. She's a legal analyst and former assistant DA in Manhattan, New York. And if her voice sounds familiar, you probably recognize her from TV. She was with Court TV for 19 years, covering cases including O.J. Simpson. He was acquitted of double murder when, you know, most of the country thought he was guilty. Scott Peterson. Scott Peterson, when he went fishing on the morning of Christmas Eve day, he says his wife was home. She was alive when he left. And Casey Anthony. Casey Anthony. There's no one else. George Anthony already testified, and he denied it. So I do believe that we will see her on the stand. Today, she researches and produces content for an NBC production company. Beth came across David's case a few years ago when Dwayne Pullman, a local reporter and TV news anchor in Ohio, reached out to a friend of hers. I've mentioned Dwayne's name a couple of times and played a few of his clips about David's case. And so my friend said, look, you know, my my Ohio friend reporter says there's a story here. This guy's you know, didn't do it. He's locked up. And um, and, and the, the, the side story, which we kind of wanted to get into it as the focus, was the woman who would marry David, Sue Glass. Uh, she's a lovely person. Uh, I got to know her, visited with her. We still uh, are in contact. And that's how I met Beth, through Sue, David's wife. Of course, I had known of and seen Beth for years on Court TV and other shows she's appeared on as a legal analyst. So speaking with her for this was pretty cool. She spent a ton of time looking into David's case with her friend for a potential TV show. You know, I visited David and Joe Wilkes in the two different prisons. And then I had extensive phone calls with both of them uh, that were recorded as well. And then, of course, I talked to a number of other people uh, who were, you know, peripherally involved, knew something We did go to the courthouse. We did get to look at all the evidence. Um, They pulled out all the evidence for us. We we photographed, you know, all all of the evidence in the case. Unfortunately, the TV show fell through. That happens a lot with true crime shows. But Beth had already done so much legwork. She's a wealth of information on the case. Plus, I was interested to hear her perspective as a former prosecutor. I read a lot of transcripts and I I was reading the trial transcript. And you got to understand that when you have my background um, as a, um, you know, as a prosecutor, that police and prosecutors are not in the business of arresting and trying innocent people. Yes, it happens. But the vast majority of people who go through the system, they're guilty, okay? So Beth said that while she is a huge proponent of the Innocence Networks, she still approached this case with the assumption that the prosecutors got it right. Beth went through the entire trial and flagged a lot of the same things I did as concerning. Things that just didn't make sense to her. 
like Joe's confession, and how he led the police to the pants he was allegedly wearing that night. But the most crucial piece that jumped out at me was what came out post-conviction. And that's when the defense got one of the police reports that was prepared close in time to the murder that was based on notes taken by a cop at the scene. This was the police note that was taken about what George Hale saw the morning Yvonne's body was discovered. George was only found out about in David's appeal process when David requested the discovery, which is odd because the state was already required to turn over all relevant discovery before the trial. And yet it wasn't until after the conviction that anyone got the report mentioning what George Hale said he saw. The fact that it was never turned over to the defense is shocking. At that time, David's appeal team also realized that this was a bombshell. Not only was it a Brady violation that could get them back in court, but George Hale could potentially identify the killer, and they knew they had to speak with him. Miss George here, my name is Mike Durkin. Um, I'd like to talk to him. I'm not any trouble or anything, but if he's got a... Hey, buddy. He's got a, a minute or two, but I talk to him. Yeah, oh, that's all right. I'm kind of cold. George. Durkin explains to George why he was there. Now, after this case was all done, the family's still pursuing it. We got the police report where they mentioned they had talked to you. We never had your name. We never... I can show you. We never... We never knew you. We never you existed until we got a copy of this police report. Now, the rest of the interview was what you already heard. Hale describing what and who he saw the morning Yvonne's body was found. And then he said, the police actually tried to hypnotize him in hopes of jogging his memory to better describe the mystery man he saw. Who is the hypnotist? Do you remember who that was? It was by Coastal Pets down there, by that area. Yeah, it was in a, like a doctor's office. Apple Salberg back there? Do you remember whose office? Uh, was it a psych? Was it a hypnotist? I mean, was there actually yeah, a sign on the door? It was supposedly. I don't know. Yeah. You, you did, they didn't actually try to hypnotize. Remember, they was hooking up with stuff. Yeah, they were hooking me up with stuff. They were hooking all kinds of stuff to them. And then Durkin interrupted. Are you sure they weren't getting a polygraph test? The woman you hear is George's girlfriend. You know, that's what that sounds like to me. I've I've given polygraphs, taken people up to polygraphs, they hook things to their finger. Yeah, because I had things hooked to my fingers and my chest and everything. They were hooking me up to things and I said, this ain't gonna work, take this stuff off of you. Did you see a little machine, a little computer, a little laptop type thing over? I said it was something that had to do with your heart rate or something. George goes on to describe what happened in the room. He just told me sit back and just relax and just answer all the questions. And I was like, it ain't gonna work. You know, I don't know what he Why? was trying to do. Were the cops like, in there with you? Yeah, they were both in there and they were getting mad because I wouldn't do it. So I didn't think it was because I wouldn't relax and. I can't relax because of that. So George stopped cooperating as much when he thought he couldn't successfully be hypnotized. And they were getting mad about it. 
because I wouldn't sit there and do it. Just give it a try. I already did give it a try, but I was like, yeah, it could work. I'm going out. So they eventually took him home. And then that's when the harassment started after that. Then. What, what, it was before like before that? and after. Yeah, it was before a little after. By the police? Uh, by the other detectives, Alliance detectives. They kept on harassing me every time they see me. And then they said something to her mother. Where was I that night? To your mother? Because we lived with them in China. Oh, okay. I guess they thought I did it at first or something, trying to find out where I was. They, they asked her mother where I was. They didn't ask me where I was or anything, but what they went to her mother and said, uh, where was George at that night? And, or, you know, could he have done it? I don't even know. You told her, like, all the time or constantly they were contacting you. Could it was, you... like, four times I think they did that. And then kept on coming by, checking up on me and asking more questions and... And then George said that detectives told him that they didn't want him to come to court. I don't understand how the court thing came up. It, it, does that, that doesn't make sense it, to me how that, how that came up. I'm not quite sure. All I know is they said they couldn't, they didn't want me there. They didn't want me on the stands. Was that around the time of the trial, though, or was that when, when there had been arrests made? Do you remember when that was? I don't think there was anything arrested. Nobody's been arrested. They just said they couldn't use me. They didn't want me. Now, George also told Durkin that he had met with Sue before. Sue had gone over to the house and shown him three photos. She brought you a picture of David and uh, Wilkes and some other Three of them, I think. Three of them? Yeah. Okay. And those weren't any of the guys yeah. you saw? Because you would kind of remember the yeah. face that you saw? Okay. George said that the man he saw leaving the house that morning was not David or Joe. Hale said the man was around 5'9". Of course, he couldn't tell this from the photos, but David and Joe are both over six feet tall. Here's Beth again. So who's this man? I mean, that that is the one key part of this case that that just never like never sat right with me like something is wrong here something is really wrong it makes me question why that report wasn't provided to the defense like what's what's up with that and why it wasn't further investigated so it makes me feel like there's more to the story in his post-conviction appeals, David's attorneys questioned Samson and Mucklow about George Hale. Here's Samson. All right. This is a Alliance Police Department lineup form for George Hale. And he was given a lineup, and he did not recognize anybody in the lineup. Fair enough. Now, clarify a point for me, please. Uh, you, you just said that was a lineup form. Is that different than the actual lineup? Yeah, a lineup would have pictures on it. Sure. Is what happened? Where? Uh, where's that document? Well, normally what we do on a lineup is we put the lineup together, mm -hmm. and we photocopy all the pictures in the lineup. Okay. Okay. Then the pictures are put back in the because we use Polaroids at that time. Okay. The photographs will be put back in the booking books. Okay. But the lineup itself should have been photocopied as to who was in the lineup. Okay. Okay. And put where? Well, the copy, everything should have gone to records. Okay, so the, the 
copy with the pictures? Yes. Photocopy, and I got copy, you know. Yeah, should have gone to record. Sure, and it would be in the Along record. with a copy, or the original of this. Okay. And the supplement saying what he came in and did. Okay. Whether he picked somebody out or he didn't pick somebody out or. Okay. Okay. So if I told you that the file the, that was produced pursuant to subpoena by your department contained that. Okay. Then where would you tell me to look for the lineup? Well, if it's not in records, we didn't do it. You didn't do a lineup? No, we did the lineup. We just didn't copy it. So you didn't retain any, uh, you didn't retain a record of very, he looked at? Very possible. Six males. Okay. All right. In other words, the lineup should have been documented. But if it was, that documentation disappeared. And this didn't just happen once. David's attorney told Sampson that there were actually two lineups given, which we'll get to later. And neither were in any of the records David's team had received. They were given to the prosecutor's office for their business. They wanted the two lineups. We had them. We gave them to the attorneys. Right. And before you gave them to the attorneys, you had them because you showed them to a witness, correct? Related I don't to know. Case. I don't know. Well, you certainly wouldn't pull a lineup from an unrelated case and give that to the prosecutor on the state of Ohio v. David's own case, right? Right. Okay. Fair enough. Basically, what she is pointing out is that she should have all the discovery in this case. And for whatever reason, both lineups are missing from her files. They were never handed over to David's original defense lawyers, who had no idea they existed, and his post-conviction lawyers also did not have them. Either this is an insane oversight or something else. And I think it's something else. One thing George Hale said that could be of importance was that the man he saw leaving the house walked through the yard to the west. And then he, then he went around this way? <coughs> okay, so that would be to the west. I just wanted to make sure your direction was right there. And whose yard touches Yvonne's on the west side of the house? Jim. Remember, Jim was the last person we know about to see Yvonne alive. He was seen at 5.30 with her smashing soda cans in her driveway. Jim said he was over there to see the puppies and then said afterward he went on a bike ride and then was at work by 10 p.m. Again, from what we know, the police did not follow up on Jim as a suspect. There is no record of a formal interview with him, and he never testified. What's also interesting is that Jim at least vaguely resembled the description of the person George saw leaving the house the morning Avon's body was found. Sue told me at the time, Jim was in his 30s, 140 pounds and 5'7". A bit smaller than what George reported, which was a guy in his late 20s, 180 pounds, 5'9". Another interesting thing is that when Tanya testified at trial, she said the day before there were four puppies at Avon's house. The day her daughter was found, there were only two. So where did the other two puppies go? You'd think if someone innocent had bought the puppies, they'd have stepped forward to tell police what they know. Jim did say he went to see the puppies. If he was given to, he never mentioned that, nor did he mention he went in the house. Remember, he said he went on a bike ride. Maybe the puppies were in the trash bag of the person George saw leaving the house the next morning. 
And now you may also be wondering if George was a neighbor, wouldn't he recognize Jim? George lived a block over and walks like the one he did to McDonald's. He would have no reason to pass Jim's house unless he was zigzagging up and down blocks. So it's possible he had never seen Jim. Sue also told me that she had never asked George about Jim because Jim was also not known to David's team until his federal appeal in 2006 when they once again got more documents that were never turned over. And there may be a reason why Jim was not followed up on. Jim's brother-in-law is an Alliance police officer who was at the scene the day after the murder. That officer told me his only involvement in the case was peripheral and that Jim was only questioned because he lived nearby and investigators interviewed all of Yvonne's neighbors. But still, the last person known to have seen Yvonne alive was a brother-in-law of an Alliance officer, and he was never questioned in any detail. I mean, maybe it was just two oversights for getting to follow up on Jim and George Hale, but these are seriously major oversights. But then, that's not the only connection that members of the Alliance Police Department may have had in Yvonne's murder. There was a, a former policeman that she was afraid of. Okay. Artist. Quentin Artis? Yes. Okay, and what did she tell you about that? This is Tanya Lane, Yvonne's mother. She said that in September 1998, Yvonne was stopped by the police for a traffic infraction. Officer Quentin Artis pulled Yvonne over for driving with a suspended license and, quote, fictitious plates. He took her to the station and processed her. When she left, he kept her license. According to Tanya in a police interview, she recounted what Yvonne said happened next. She told me that he came in the house on the pretext of giving her her driver's license. He had her driver's license. He said he was going to give it back to her. And then he got in the house and he started taking advances and having his hands all over her is what she said. And she said then... Uh, one of Eric's mother's friends stopped over to see if Eric's mom was there and kind of asked him what he was doing because he wasn't in uniform. He says, oh, you're a policeman? And he said, oh, you're not in your uniform? Oh, I see. Yvonne's mother isn't the only person who recounted this incident. Fred Cameron, who you remember is the father of Eric Cameron, Yvonne's on and off again boyfriend and father of a few of her five children, told police in an interview that artists did come back and kept harassing Yvonne. According to Sue, he was often hanging out at another police officer's house who lived around the corner next to Jim. And there are multiple allegations from other women against artists too. One woman filed a complaint with the police in which she said that when Artis was booking her, he asked, quote, I have to take your picture. Do you want to do this with or without your clothes on? He then allegedly went on to inquire if her bra and panties were matching. The woman also said that after this incident, Artis began stopping by her home to see what she was doing. And there were several other similar complaints filed by women in Alliance. Artis 
was charged with aggravated menacing for another incident, and he was let go from the Alliance Police Department. He is now a registered sex offender. And Artis might not have been a rogue cop. In fact, the Alliance Police Department has a history of corruption. In the early part of 1998, the Alliance mayor ordered an audit on the Alliance Police Department after it was discovered that $5,000 worth of confiscated money was missing from evidence. Mayor Judy Carr was the first female mayor of Alliance and is remembered for improving the city and the police force. She's now deceased. After the 10-month audit, auditors discovered that there was a much larger issue than just $5,000. More than $14,000 worth of money and drugs, including cocaine and marijuana, were missing from the evidence room. They also discovered that there were at least six shotguns missing from the department. And now, if this sounds familiar, there was a recent documentary about a different case in New York that nearly mirrors what auditors found in Alliance, but on a much larger scale. The documentary is called The 7-5, about former NYPD officer Michael Dowd, who similarly stole money and drugs during busts and was running his own cocaine ring while on the job in the 80s and early 90s. Michael Dow was a crook who ended up wearing a cop's uniform. He was a criminal. I considered myself both a cop and a gangster. Alliance Police Chief James Black and eight officers, including narcotics officer Gregory Burr, were found responsible for the missing money and drugs. Mayor Carr ordered the officers and chief suspended pending the investigation. After he was suspended, Chief Black allegedly threatened auditors. One auditor had said in a police report that Black told the auditors and sheriff personnel that they should get out before, quote, it gets dark. The auditors said Black made reference to the recent disappearance of a construction worker and said the chief implied that this might also happen to the auditors, that they would disappear. Mayor Carr eventually fired Chief Black in 1998 after 31 years of service, and narcotics officer Burr was charged with four felonies, including theft. After Chief Black left the force, he was replaced by Lawrence Dordia. He'd just started as chief at the time of Yvonne's murder. Remember, he was the one who brought his date to the crime scene. Later, Chief Black also pleaded guilty to aiding an illegal gambling operation. Even today, when you search Alliance Police Department, articles as recent as 2017 are titled, quote, Alliance Police Department investigation leads to distrust. And going back to George Hale, remember that we found out there were actually two lineups given? Well, a few years later, George had told Dwayne that both were given to him. The second was given on April 2nd, which David's team eventually got and had a photo of David in it, which, as I mentioned, George didn't ID anyone in that lineup. But there was a first lineup a day earlier that we still don't have, which George said he did identify somebody. 
Did you find somebody you recognized? Um, I did point it out somebody. Hale says detectives told him later the picture he pointed out was that of an Alliance police officer. You think police were involved, George? I'm thinking they had something involved in it. Maybe that's why they didn't tell David's lawyers about George Hale. Dwayne Pullman asked one of the detectives on Yvonne's case, Detective Leach, about this. John Leach was a key detective in the case. Did you know who he identified? I, no, I don't. He was a police officer. That's, okay. that's before the investigation. Well, like I said, I do remember it coming down to the point that he was not a reliable witness. Reliable or not, George Hale never testified in the murder trial. And George isn't the only one who thinks the police could be involved. Two of the detectives working the case actually went to a psychic for help. And it's not what the psychic said to them, but what they told the psychic about their own brothers in blue That is truly shocking. Coming up next time on Murder in Alliance. I'm curious. Why does she know so many cops? You never asked about that or wondered about it? She was possibly seeing a police officer who lives in Seabrook. He was a hot mess. Um, Anger and rage. Very few people scare me. He scared me. And supposedly, she told Linda McLaughlin's mother that the youngest child may be this policeman's son. You know, in terms of the police force, my God, I had eight or nine names of officers who were potential sexual partners. This drug guy was putting her up to it, so if he gets caught, he can blackmail the cops. Given what we know about Yvonne is, I'm pretty sure people didn't want a lot of that stuff flying out. Y'all, if you like this show, please consider joining the Unjust and Unsolved Patreon. It shows how much you care and helps us continue to tell these stories. Plus, you get some awesome bonus episodes, Q&As, and events as a thank you. And please, please rate and review. The more reviews, the more attention, and the more likely we're going to get tips and leads and the right ears will be reached. Murder in Alliance is produced and reported by me, Maggie Freeling, with editorial consulting from Amber Hunt. Aaron Case is our legal intern, and Bob Mallory is our engineering assistant. For more information and resources, go to murderinalliance.com. You can find Murder in Alliance on Twitter and Instagram at murder underscore alliance, and join the discussion on Facebook at Unjust and Unsolved Podcast Discussion Group. Murder in Alliance is a production of the Obsessed Network. You can find all their shows at obsessednetwork.com. 